So a few, I think weeks or maybe a few months ago, the National Geographic and Disney put out this show called Limitless with Chris Hemsworth. And if you're not familiar with who Chris Hemsworth is, that's the guy who played Thor in the Marvel movies. And so they put out this little short series, and it's all about his pursuit to live a longer, healthier, more fulfilled life. And so he goes through these different challenges, and it's all about like stress management, diet and exercise, even coming to a place of acceptance about death. So it's all about this total health. And he, he wants to live the, the healthiest life possible. And in these episodes, he has these different extreme challenges, but the principles of every episode are, are very simple, something that you can apply to your life no matter where you're at. And I was watching this with my wife, Jody, and I was like, man, I think I need to make some changes in my life when I'm watching this. This is really inspiring, to which my wife was like, if you want to be more like Chris Hemsworth, I'm in total support of that. I'm still trying to piece together what exactly she meant, uh, but she's not here today for me to, you know, poke fun at her and, you know, get her to explain what she meant by that. But the whole premise of the show was about change, about making small little adjustments to your day, to your life that will have just an amount of reward later on down the road. And I think there's something to that that speaks to this time of year, because it's January 1st. It's the year, or it's the time of the year where we come up with New Year's resolutions. We come up with our goals for the next year. We come up with, here's who I want to be by the end of 2023. And maybe for some of you, that's what you have. You were like, man, I've made some decisions. I'm going to change some things. So maybe for some of you, you're like, I'm going to start journaling more. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I'm going to change my diet, or I'm going to stop yelling at my kids, or I'm going to come to church more often. Maybe for some of you, you had a particular goal in mind. And this is not a bad thing. I mean, we're created beings who love progress. That's why as a little kid, you like to measure how many inches you grew up you know, on the doorpost. And why as an adult, you're wishing for those same amount of inches to disappear in your waistline, right? Because we love growth and progress. We love to see a goal and to strive after this goal and to pursue after it with everything we've got. And this is a good thing. But I think we need to be honest about some things, is that sometimes the means by which we go after things and we try to achieve our goals, sometimes it creates more mess in our lives. Right? Like maybe for you, you're like, maybe what you're trying to seek after really is about validation. You want to be someone special. You want to be someone that matters. You want the approval of your father. So what do you do? You pour more energy into work. You take on extra shifts that you don't really need to take on. You you take on extra assignments. And the consequences of that is less time with your family and friends. And you start to grow a little bit more distant with your spouse. Because you're striving after this validation over here, but you're going at it by unhealthy means. And it started to create other mess in your life. Or maybe sometimes what we're chasing after is really security. We want to feel safe. We want to feel in control. And so what we do, we naturally start to shell up. And we we stop being vulnerable with one another. We stop seeking true biblical intimacy and community with one another. Why? Because we, we want the security and control. And you can't really have the two the same. You see, we strive after things sometimes. 
And sometimes the means by which we do it creates further mess in our lives. It's not that what we're striving after is bad. It's that sometimes we go about it in an unhealthy means. And, and this is true for everyone. This is true whether you're a Jesus follower or not. Because even Jesus followers have the same problems where we, we sometimes strive for our validation. We want to feel special. We want to feel like we matter, right? And sometimes we look for it in the wrong places. See, even Christians will, will sometimes we're like, man, I, I crave intimacy. And rather than fostering it and cultivating it and building in relationships, sometimes we'll look for the quick fix in pornography. So this is what we do. We want something good sometimes. And sometimes the means by which we go about it creates further mess in other areas of our lives. And we all have experienced this. And even some of the individuals in the Bible, you see this all over the place. I think the best example is from a guy named Jacob, where we can learn from his mistakes how we can do better. And even if you're not a Jesus follower and you're like, I don't buy into this, that's okay. I just want to tell you about a guy in history whose his story was recorded to us a long time ago in a historical document known as the book of Genesis, right? And if you're not familiar with Jacob, don't worry, you're going to hear his whole story here in a minute. But in order to understand Jacob's story, you actually have to understand what happened before his story. You see, the story is that God created this world, and he created it to, to be in relationship with humanity. He made it good, and he made human beings in his own image. He gave them this purpose to be partners with him in stewarding his creation, and it was all going to be great as long as humanity trusted God. But shortly after that, humanity is like, We've been on the planet long enough. We know how this works, God. We don't need you. You just, you go over there. We've got the show from here on out. And then the story is that the world just falls apart. You read Genesis chapters 1 through 11. It's this ongoing saga where God, you feel him just weeping with anguish saying, guys, this doesn't have to happen. And yet they just get worse and worse and worse. And then by chapter 11, they're like, you know what? Let's just build a tower. Let's get to heaven. Let's dethrone God. We don't want him involved with any area of our life. And it causes such chaos and mess. And so by chapter 12, you get this sense where God is looking at the mess of his creation and he has to decide on what to do. Is he going to give up on them? Is he going to walk away? But that's not what he does. Instead, you read that he basically rolls up his sleeves and he's like, we're going to fix this. And he chooses one guy, a guy named Abraham. You've probably heard the story of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. But before that, he was just a lonely old guy who had no kids. And God's like, I want to build a nation from you who your people will be a blessing to all the world. And through them, we're going to fix this creation. We're going to start this over. And so Abraham, he has these crazy stories of following God. But it's over and over. You see God being faithful to this promise. And then Abraham has a kid, and it's Isaac. And you see some stories of Isaac where he's following God, and God is, seems to be working through this little family. But then Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And that's where the problem hits. Because Esau was the favorite, and Jacob was the forgotten child. And so Jacob grew up with this system where he was in his brother's shadow. Everything his brother did was great and glorious, and everyone loved his brother, but no one really cared for Jacob. He was forgotten. And maybe some of you know that pain. 
where you're like, man, I was the least favorite child by my parents. <laughs> they forgot about me. I lived in my brother or sister's shadow. They did so many great things. And if that's you, then you can understand Jacob's pain that he carries, where he wants to change things. His brother Esau is the one that everyone's like, God's going to work through Esau. God's going to do great things through Esau. God's going to continue this mission through Esau. But Jacob, yeah, he'll just he'll get the crumbs. He'll get leftovers. He'll be forgotten. And all his life, what he wants is just really the approval of his father. For his father to look at him and say, I'm proud of you. You've, you have value. You matter. But Jacob never receives that. And so Jacob does something radical. It's crazy. There's this moment where his father has to finally give a blessing to his sons. It's basically in our modern day mindset. Think of it like he basically is determining his inheritance. Which kid is getting which things. And who he's giving everything. In his mind, Isaac is giving everything to Esau. But Jacob tricks things around where he basically writes his brother out of the will. And in that day and age, once it's done, it's done. There's no lawyers to come back and change it. There's no rewriting the will. He has tricked his father into basically writing Esau out of the inheritance. And then this just causes chaos. No one wanted this. Everyone hates Jacob. He has to flee with this thing. He's like, all I wanted was this promise, this mission, this thing over here that say I value, that father sees me. And he's destroyed his family in the process to get it. And he's left his family in shambles and ruins. He wanted something good, but he created a mess in his life. And maybe some of you can relate to that. You're like, man, that's, that's the story of me. That's the story of maybe my sibling. I can see why they did what they did. They were just like Jacob. But something happens to Jacob that's radical. That's just so inspiring. It's recorded to us in chapter 28 of Genesis. Where Jacob is on the run. He is leaving the only family and home he's ever known. He's no longer accepted among them after what he has just done. And in chapter 28, he has an encounter with God. And it's recorded to us where he falls asleep. Um, and while he's sleeping, he has this vision. Now, this seems really strange to us because we're like, visions, that, was he eating something or smoking something? I don't know. Um, but that's not how it was for them. You've got to understand, this is about uh, roughly 2,500 years before the Bible was composed. So this is some of the first encounters with God. And many of the ways that God spoke to his, this family was through visions or speaking directly to them. So here he is. He gives... Jacob, this vision, here it is, that he sees that there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, here's what this is really telling us. Think about this. Jacob, he's part of this family who have this mission that God is going to fix the world through them and he has just blown up his family. And you're looking at this and you're like, this is supposed to be the family that's going to fix the world. Look how they treat one another. Like Esau wants to kill his brother Jacob and Jacob's on the run. It looks like God's mission has failed yet again. And what Jacob is seeing is this ladder where angels are being sent by God out into the world to do a mission. And they're coming back to get another assignment after they complete the mission. And he's seeing this and it's God's way of saying, you might have been stupid, but my plan is not done. 
which is really encouraging to us, right? Because sometimes we're like, God, I have messed up. I have ruined your plan. And God has accounted for our stupidity in his plan, (laughs) right? That's what he's telling Jacob in this moment. He's like, look, I'm still working in the world. You did a bad thing, but my plan is still moving forward. And then God speaks to him. And here's what God says. It's recorded to us in verse 13. He says, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. He's like, hey, you remember the stories you heard from Grandpa Abe about me, and then you heard them from your dad? Yeah, I'm that guy, and I've got a message for you. Now, think about this. You're Jacob. You've just blown up your family, and now this God is speaking to you. You probably would be thinking, oh, he's about to punish me, right? He's about to say how in trouble I am. He's about to discipline me. And maybe for some of you, that's how you think of God. You think of him as a rule breaker who's just waiting with a stick, waiting for you to trip up so he can hit you with it. And if that's you, then listen to how God responded to Jacob. God says, let me tell you who I am. And then he says this. He says, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He's like, you know that promise I gave to Abraham? I'm giving it to you now. This thing that you have sought after your entire life. You wanted a mission. You wanted a purpose for your life. You wanted just someone to say that you matter, that you're seen, that you're loved. I want you to know I see you, and I want to continue my mission through you. You are the biggest screw-up so far. You're the one I'm using. And then he says this, verse 15, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. He's given this blessing to Jacob. Jacob hasn't done a thing to deserve this. He doesn't deserve this grace and mercy. God's merely looking at him and says, I know you're a screw-up, and I can work through this. If you'll just trust me, I'll build something great with your life. I've got a plan for your life. I've got a mission for your life. Yes, you've made some mistakes in your past, but that hasn't disqualified you. You're still breathing. You've still got a plan. You've still got a purpose. But how did Jacob respond to this? Well, I think he responded in ways that many of us respond all the time. And maybe for some of you, you're going to read what Jacob's going to say next, and you're going to be like, whoa, that's me. That was me this morning. Because here's what Jacob says. Jacob responds in verse 20. He says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Notice he's like, if God will do good things for me, if God will give me what I want, if God will give me my desire, my goal, my dream, then here's what I'll give to God. Verse 21, then the Yahweh shall be my God. He's like, I'll start coming to church. I'll start worshiping God if he does these things for me over here. And then thinking that he can, you know, sweeten the pot a little bit with God, he says this. He says, in all that I give, that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. He's like, God, I see that you want to give me grace and mercy. You want to give me a calling in my life. That's great. But if you do this thing over here for me, 
then, then I, I'll give you something back in return. Oh, you want a little bit of obedience? Or I hear you, you want some money? I'll give you a little bit of money, God. See, he's operating in this mindset thinking that he's got something that God wants. We all do the same thing. I mean, think back to when you're a teenager, and some of you are like teenagers now, and you're going to be like, Mason, you just talked about what I did last night. Remember that time when you were driving home late at night, and you're like, God, please, if you'll just make sure my parents are still asleep when I get home, then, then I'll start coming to church, I'll go to youth group, I'll go to camp, I'll just do all these wonderful things, God, if you just make sure my parents are asleep and they don't go outside and look what I did with the car, right? Remember you when you did that? Or some of you did this other thing, you're like, God, please, uh, if you bring that pregnancy test negative, we have too many kids, if you just make sure it's a negative, I'll do this thing over here for you, God. Or maybe for some of you, you're like, God, if you'll just give me a spouse, if you'll just give me a kid, then I'll do this thing over here for you. Or God, if you'll just give me that raise or that promotion, then I'll start giving to your mission. In fact, let's just swing the pot, God. If you'll just let me win the lottery, I'll make sure to, to give like a tenth of it back to the church. How often do we find ourselves making bargains with God? Thinking, I've got something that God wants. And God, if you'll just do what I want, then I'll be the good Christian. I'll go on mission trips. I'll tell other people about how good you are. I'll invite my friends and family members to church, things like that. As long as you do this thing over here. If you keep your end of the bargain, then we'll be good. But notice that God never gave any if clauses to Jacob. He didn't say, Jacob, I want to use you, but I'm only going to use you if you make sure to go and do these things X, Y, and Z over here. God never gave Jacob any if clauses because he knows Jacob can't keep them. But Jacob wants a contract with God. He wants something that he can hold over to God saying, God, you didn't keep your end of the bargain. And maybe for some of you, you can relate to that. That might even be why some of you are here today. You're like, God, I'll come to church. And if I come to church today, that means you owe me this thing over here. Jacob failed to understand something very important. That there is nothing that God needs from us. There is nothing that God's like, okay, you got something I want, okay? Can you just give it to me? I, I, I own a cattle on a thousand hills, but I, I need your 20 bucks. Would you just please give me your 20 bucks? There is nothing we have that God needs from us. And if we're operating with that mindset with God, then I'm going to mention something that's really difficult to say and difficult. It's a difficult pill to swallow. But if we are treating God like this, if we are bargaining with God, then we are not worshiping the God who we owe everything to. And our relationship with God is broken. We are not worshiping the God of the universe in that state. That's where Jacob was. And he lives the rest of his life in this mentality where God has just told him he wants to be there for him, he wants to take care of him, he wants to bless him, he wants to use him. And Jacob's like, that's great and all. I'm going to continue to chase after the things you're promising, but I'm going to continue to chase after them by some unhealthy means. So the next few decades of his life are just crazy about trying to manipulate people, try to take from people uh, from what he wants out of them, and he ends up 
causing himself decades of pain and misery because he would not get on God's path. He was trying to get God to get on his path of things. And he's like, I'm going to try to do this. And so it ends up with this massive amount of chaos in his life where decades of his life is just set back. And one day he just wakes up and he's like, I'm tired. He's got teenagers, he's got property, yes, but he's looking and he's like, man, this is, I still haven't got my father's approval. The very thing I've been chasing after, I still haven't received it. And so he decides, I'm going to go home. He hasn't talked to his family in decades, and he decides he packs up his uh, kids, his wives, and he's like, we're going to head back home. And along the way, Keep in mind, it's about 20 years later. Along the way, he finds out that Esau knows he's coming into town. So he sends out some messengers to Esau to to see, does Esau still remember what I did when I kind of cheated him out of the inheritance? Does he remember how I kind of just threw him under the bus like that? And does he remember how he kind of vowed to kill me? And so he sends out some messengers, and it's recorded to us now in chapter 32, where these messengers came back to Jacob, and they say, we came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. So he's like, man, I wonder if my brother is mad at me. And then the response he gets is they, they don't get Esau's answer. He's like, okay. Buddies, let's everyone pack up, grab your swords, grab your shields. We're going to go meet my brother. And he comes with an army. Can you imagine the fear that Jacob's feeling? He's been living for decades with this regret in his mind. He's sitting there thinking, I'm about to pay for my mistakes in my past. My past that I tried to outrun, that I tried to hide, is catching up to me now. And so he's like, man, I, he does what he always does. He strikes a plan. He's like, let me figure this out. I, I can solve this problem. And so it, it, we're told that he starts to send a present to his brother. It tells us in verse 13, he says, from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. He starts sending out little gifts. He's like, hey, you know, let me start sending you out some Christmas cards and, and some Christmas presents. And, and, and let me start sending you all these other things. And Esau is ignoring them one by one. But Jacob's doing this because he thinks he can win over his brother. He even tells us in verse 20, For he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So he's still seeking after the same thing. He's wasted decades of his life just trying to feel like he's been accepted by his brother, by his father. Now he's trying to buy it. He he tried to steal it once, now he's trying to buy it. And so he sends off all his goods, all his property, and Esau won't accept any of it. So he actually starts sending his kids one by one. He's like, hey, I got 12 of them, okay? Um, I I could use a few less, so here, let me just start sending them one by one. Oh, you didn't like that one? Let me grab the next least favorites and the next least favorites. And one by one, he's trying to, to send everything he has to Esau. He's basically begging for his life. Until eventually we read that this is the state he gets into. In verse 32, where it says, And Jacob was left alone. All his life he was trying to acquire more and more and more. Something that would tell him that he's finally a man, that he is somebody. 
that he had, he's been accepted, and now he finds himself at the end with nothing. He's alone. All of his decisions, all of his actions have led him to this point. And he's completely forgotten about the promise that God gave him about 20 years ago, where God said, I love you, I see you, I want to be with you, I want to have a relationship with you. And Jacob was like, that's great and all, but he's completely forgotten about this God. Before we judge him, let's see ourselves in Jacob. How often do you come here and you hear the very same things spoken to you from Scripture? That Jesus sees you, he loves you, he cares for you, he wants to be there for you, and you're like, that's great and all, and then you forget about it Monday morning. Then you start making mess of your life. And this is Jacob. And he's alone. And it's relatable because some of you have been there. Some of you are there. Some of you are on your way to being there. And it's in this moment where God appears again. And it's a dramatic story where we meet this God in a way that it's not the cushiony, Cupid-like, kissing kids kind of Jesus that we picture in the New Testament. This is like Jesus come like an MMA fighter. I love it, right? Because it says to us in verse 32 that a man, when he's all alone, all of a sudden a man appeared and a man rests with him until the breaking of the day. This man is God in the flesh. And I love it where, where God's like, okay, you're alone. You've hit rock bottom. You and me, this is the perfect time. We need to chat. Put on the boxing gloves. We're going at it. And this is a fight that Jacob was not looking for. This is a fight where God is coming to him and saying, we're going to fight. We're going to deal with this. And I love this view of Jesus where he's like, let's put on the gloves. Let's, let's just go. We're, we're, here we go. And so he fights with Jacob because Jacob is a fighter himself. He's all about trying to maneuver things around to appease him, to, to win on his end. So God meets him on a playing field that Jacob can relate to. And the two just hash it out over and over. And God could easily overpower Jacob. I mean, he kind of spoke the universe into creation. But with a tremendous amount of grace and mercy, he meets Jacob in a way where Jacob can get some blows in. And, and they're fighting and they're hashing it out. And eventually it comes to a point where Jacob will not yield to God. And this is why God has done this, because he's trying to get Jacob to finally yield to him, because that's where transformation really happens. Transformation happens when we finally yield to God. But Jacob won't do it. And so God does something that I think is just hilarious, right? You've probably heard this story if you grew up in church. It's in verse 25. It says that when the man, talking about Jesus, right here, saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, meaning Jacob would not yield. Jacob would not quit. He would not stop fighting back against God. Here's what God did. He touched Jacob's, his hip socket, and Jacob's hip socket was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, in the kid version, we think it's like, let me just poke you. But in the actual Hebrew, the better terminology is more that God kicked him in the groins which I just love, right? It's like, it's a literal low blow where God's like, all right, you're not listening? Boom, right? And it just cripples Jacob for life. He's like, this is, you're not gonna listen unless we just bring down the hammer. And so God kicks him in the groins. Jacob falls down to the ground and then they finally start having a conversation. And here's what happens in this conversation. 
Where Jacob, I picture him kind of like, he's on the ground, he's probably going to say this with a squeak in his voice, right? And he's, he's probably holding on to the ankle, and God's like, look, we're done. But yet Jacob says this, he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's still seeking after the same thing. And so God speaks to him, and he says, what is your name? Now, God obviously knows Jacob's name. And Jacob tells him, he's like, my name's Jacob. And we can just pass over that, but you have to understand what this meant in that context. When someone gave their name, what they're really saying is, here's who I am. And so God's like, tell me who you are. You be honest with me right now. Let's be honest. Tell me who you are. And Jacob's answer, when he says, I'm Jacob, he's saying what his name means. He's like, I'm the liar. I'm the cheater. I'm the guy who, if you had something I wanted, I would take it from you. That's who I am. And I've made a mess of my life. I'm all alone. My family's not even here with me anymore. Look what I've created with my life. He's being open and honest. He's like, I am the biggest scoundrel and screw-up you will ever find. And then God speaks to him. And here's God's response. He says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. He says, no longer is your reputation going to haunt over you, Jacob. No longer is your past going to define you. No longer are all the things you've been seeking after and you've been creating mess in your life. No longer is that going to be your narrative anymore. You are now going to have a new story because he says this. He says, but your name shall be Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. He's like, your, your story was this over here, that you were the liar, the cheater, the one who's going to take everything you could from other people because you're trying to achieve something that your father never gave you, the other people never gave you. No one ever accepted you. No one would ever give you a blessing. No one ever would believe in you. He's like, that's no longer your story. I'm giving you a new story and a new name. And it's Israel. And there, this God who never gave Jacob any if clauses, who about 20 years prior had an encounter with him and said, hey, I want to use you. I want you to be part of my team. This God speaks to him after 20 years of continuing to burn his life down. This God speaks to him yet again in this rock-bottom, lonely place. It says in verse 29, and there he blessed him. He blessed him. Not because Jacob had deserved it. He certainly didn't deserve it. Because this is the God we worship. One of never-ending grace and mercy. Who is sometimes willing to fight his people to get them to yield to this grace and mercy who does not give us if clauses, but merely says, this is who I am. Would you please come and be part of my family? Would you be in a relationship with me? Things would work so much better if you were on my team, if you were on my path. And rather than said, what does Jacob do? He's always like, but God, I want you to be on my path. Won't you just come over here and sprinkle a little bit of blessing on my agenda and my goals and my plan? And this is the point where things turned around for Jacob. He stopped fighting this God. He stopped trying to manipulate God to get on his agenda. He stopped trying to throw if bargains to God, saying, God, if you'll just do this for me, then I'll do this for you. He finally accepted the grace and mercy that God was trying to offer him. 
And this story teaches us that the things we try to get without God are the things God offers freely to us. Jacob wanted to be blessed. He wanted to matter. He wanted to be someone special. He wanted to be accepted, to have his father's approval, to be validated. And his pursuit of these things made a mess of his life because he pursued them by unhealthy means. But the very thing that he wanted was the very thing that God was trying to offer him up freely. But Jacob would not accept it. And we can't blame him because we do the same thing. But the blessings for us are far greater than what they are for Jacob. You see, when you turn to the New Testament, you're introduced to this guy named Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who has come to die for our sins. In fact, the book of Romans, a document that was written around the time when Jesus, right after he was resurrected, tells us that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still Jacob's, Christ died for us. While you were the Jacob, and you were the Jacob, and you were the Jacob, and I was the Jacob, Christ died for us. He didn't say, guys, I'm about to do this. You know, if you want to be part of it, go ahead and sign, you know, on the dotted line over here. And therefore, you have been part of this. No, he's like, I'm going to die first, and then I'm going to offer the free gift. You didn't have to earn it. It's not a bargaining chip. God is saying, I am offering salvation freely to you. I'm offering the approval that you never got from your father. I'm offering the validation you've sought for your entire life. I'm offering you a narrative of meaning and purpose in your life. It's offered freely. You don't have to pursue it by unhealthy means. You don't have to continue to destroy your family by seeking it in unhealthy places. This God is offering it freely. And you might be like, Mason, I'm like Jacob though, right? I'm the one who has these regrets. I'm the one who has a past. I'm scared I will one day have to answer for. I'm the one who has lied and cheated. I'm the one who has sought something good by unhealthy means. And if that's you, I want you to know that there's a new narrative that can take place. Because there's a guy named Paul who experienced that. When he met Jesus, the transformation that happened in his life was remarkable. And he talks about this new narrative in the book of Galatians, and he says this, and it's related to all those who are Jesus followers. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The Jacob is done. And now I walk by a new name. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is encouraging because some of you are just like Jacob, waiting on that transformation moment. You've been seeking after something. You've been trying to strike bargainings with God to get what you want. And God is over here just offering it freely if you'll just trust him. If you'll stop trying to play games with him. Makes me ask the question, Are you striving after something, to achieve something, to gain something that God is trying to offer to you freely today? See, we oftentimes think that God is keeping something from us. But that's not the case. We're told many times 
how God wants to be there for us and give us what we need. In fact, if you recall from our study back in the fall over the awesome book of the letter of Ephesians, I know you're sitting there thinking, man, Mason, you were never going to, we thought we were going to wait a while before you quoted Ephesians again. Sorry, it's too good of a book. In the very opening of the letter, here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the early places. God's not trying to keep anything from you. He's trying to give you the very thing that you want and that you need, the very thing that you need most of all, and it's him. And we are so messed up where we're striving after in the wrong places. And so my hope in this series, as it's January 1st, as you're thinking about what goals you want to achieve this next year, what things you want to accomplish, the person you want to be. My heart and hope is that you would stop and consider, man, am I on my path and trying to get God on it, or am I on God's path? Am I tired of fighting against this God, or am I ready to just yield to him? Have I been bargaining with God? Like maybe that's why some of you are here, and if that's the case, that's awesome that you're here because I'm hoping that you'll hear some grace and mercy. God wants to offer you something so much greater than the bargaining chip that you're throwing in his face. Because there's some of you in this room. Maybe you've been coming to church your entire life. Maybe you're like, man, I'm a Jesus follower. But you're not on God's path. My hope today is that changes. My hope today is that you maybe start asking yourself some serious questions about who you are and whether or not that's in line with who God wants you to be. Which is why I'm going to ask for every head bowed and every eye closed right now. Because there's some of you in this room who do not have a relationship with Jesus right now, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that, but I'm going to ask you to seriously consider where you're at with God. And maybe right now you need to pray this prayer that I'm about to pray. Because you need to get right with God today. You need to start off 2023 on a path that God wants for you. No longer playing games, no longer bargaining with God, no longer trying to cheat to manipulate your way in or anything like that. You need to just surrender right now and yield. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Silently to yourself. You can say it out loud if you want to, but silently to yourself. Just say something of what I'm going to say here in a minute, and there's no magic to the words or anything like that. It's all about your heart and where it's lied right now. Father, let me go ahead and be the first one to admit in this room that I am like Jacob. Father, I have been trying to chase after something by unhealthy means, and it's killing me It's killing those around me. It hurts my family. It hurts my friends. It hurts my potential in life. And Father, I've been trying to bargain with you. I've put my if clauses before you. And Father, I'm realizing none of that works. And so Father, I surrender. Would you please come into my life? I believe that Jesus was good enough. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he was innocent and yet he chose to take the cross for love for me. 
And I have faith that he rose again, that he conquered my sin, that he conquered the death that should have been me, that he conquered everything. And I believe that he's now the king of the universe. And Father, I want to follow him. And I want to be on your plan with my life. And Father, I I want my life to go in the direction that you would have it to go. Because I yield now to you. I see the mistakes of my ways. I, I see that I can't get away with my mistakes. There's no hiding them. I was the sinner, but I believe that your grace and mercy will take care of it. I believe that you're offering me a place in your family. And if you prayed that prayer or something along those lines this morning, I'm excited to let you know that there is a God who is now part of your life right now, who wants to dwell with you, who wants to be with you. And if that was you, if you prayed that prayer, please don't leave this room without letting one of us know. You can, if you're shy, you can take a connection card and mark on there saying, I, I want to talk to someone about Jesus or I want to take a next step in following him, being baptized. I want to start this year right by being the person that God wants me to be. So do something like that or come and talk to me before you leave so we can celebrate together that God has worked in your life, that you're turning a new page. It's a new year, a new you. It's the year to be who God has called you to be. So we're going to light the fuse. Jesus, thank you so much that you've been here today, that you've spoken to us in your word. And thank you for where you're going to lead us to in 2023. It's in your name I pray. Amen.